And it's the Lee Brothers Show, except the Lee Brothers aren't here. I'm Norm Leahy. <laughs> Paul Goldman. And joined by my good friend Paul Goldman, we're filling in for Scott and Richard Lee, who are at a safe, undisclosed location on a beautiful day. Now, Paul and I won't be doing the weather update, but Paul, what's the weather like outside? Hold on, let me put my head out the window. <laughs> Doesn't look like any rain, so it, it's sunny, like, yeah, nice. It's a good day. Go outside. Anyway, we're gonna if uh, if you want to talk about politics, this is the show for you. We're gonna spend three hours talking about stuff, probably a lot uh, deeper and from some different angles than your normal run-of-the-mill talk show host. And we uh, would like to invite you to join us. In the discussion, the number here, you can call us is 804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. Well, there's nothing going on today. I don't really know where we're going to start. <laughs> um, but let's, uh, you know this, Friday is always a day to dump news. That's true. Bad news always comes out. One thing I saw, I saw this half, go across the line about 2 o'clock. For example, the uh, Inspector General report on uh, Andrew McCabe, the former deputy director of the FBI. Apparently, the Inspector General is releasing that to the Hill right now. Interesting. And so it may be going public by the end of the day. So that lays out why the Inspector General thought McCabe did wrong, needed to be fired. That's coming out on Friday. Of course, uh, what else happens? Uh, uh, former FBI Director uh, Comey's book is getting its first real run through the uh, publicity machine right now. Excerpts have been flooding the press, making a lot of headlines. The RNC has started an entire website called Lion Comey to try to bring this guy down and say that he's full of it. Trump came out with, uh, of course, a series of rather excoriating tweets saying basically that the guy's a slime ball and you can't believe a thing he says. What What's your take on all this stuff? Well, if I was uh, Comey's publicist, I'd be breaking open the champagne. What better for Comey than have the president <laughs> and everybody say to all the liberals out there, you can't read this book. It's a, so it's a, it's a no-lose. I think several things. In terms of Comey's stature or whatever, I think it's a mistake. He obviously was willing to go for the money. Sure. And I think that's a mistake. I mean, it opens up his whole testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and anything that Mueller may have from 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 him. I think that's a mistake, but obviously he was well paid. What I found most amazing is he admitted that he reopened the email uh, probe of the of Hillary Clinton due to politics. In his book he says that. Well, he basically says, "Well, you know, I didn't want her to be an illegitimate president. I thought she was going to win." I mean, stuff when I read that, it it says to me the FBI director, former director, said that he made investigative decisions based on political considerations, which, which is, is which is precisely what he's not supposed to do. And what he said he was not doing. Yes, and it's interesting. If you saw the movie on Mark Felt that was with Liam Neeson, I think, uh, played Mark. Uh, Mark. Mark Felt, who was? Deep Throat. Deep, deep Throat. In the Watergate. In the Watergate. And, you know, they said that it was taken from his book. Um, some of the things don't jive with what uh, Woodstein had to say. Other things seem to seem to fit in. But, you know, the basis of, of the movie and the basis of the claim that Mr. Phelps wasn't just because he was, I think, indicted or convicted of some stuff that he was a patriot was he was doing this not for money, not for fame, 
but just to protect the law and the, and, 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 the, and the Oval Office. And here we have the former FBI director admitting, yeah, you know, I take into political considerations when I uh, initiate investigations. I just think that's an amazing concession just to make money or just to cover himself. I just, I was astounded. Well, do you think, though, that revelation in print, and he can't walk it back, because he obviously saw the galley proofs. He knew exactly what he was doing before it went to print. Does that in any way undermine what's happening with the larger Mueller investigation? To be frank with you, I'm not sure that there's anything anybody can say that's going to change anybody's mind. At this yeah, well, point. that's true. That's true. You know, uh, I think historically, when they look at the 2018 elections, it'll be known as the impeachment election. I think when the historians come back, whatever the result is, they're going to say that impeachment was on the minds of the voters that decided the election. Because if you play it out the way it's going to come down, that's going to be the issue. Uh, it's rather unusual. Uh, if you look at the other impeachment situations that have occurred, um, let, let's take the one with, uh, with Bill Clinton, which happened after he got, uh, got reelected. Uh, the Republicans had already had the House. Mm -hmm. This is the first time in American history where the out party, is making it clear that impeachment could very well be high on our agenda. Right. So elect us. So it's, I don't believe it's ever happened where you've gone into an election where the out party, the minority party is essentially saying, yep, you elect us. We may very well impeach the president. Now, of course it takes two thirds and, and it's a big difference, but, but that's a weird pitch. Well, I don't know. You know, if I'm the Republicans, I might even say to you, Let's pitch that. Maybe the middle-of-the-road voter would say, I, do I really want that kind of acrimony? But yeah. you, you can't stop these forces. Elections are driven by forces of economics, politics, other things, which, you know, the politicians are spinning and doing their little thing, but these massive forces are determining how the election's going, so I don't think anybody can stop the talk. So when they do this <clears throat> diversionary tactics, like... Oh, we're going to vote on a balanced budget amendment. Or remember, remember the tax cut we did. What a great thing that was. Those don't really sink in, in your opinion, with the average voter. Well, I think the average voter will decide whether the tax cut is working or not by their own the, for, circumstance. Their paycheck, yeah. You know, I like to say, if you have to tell somebody that you've done a good job, you've got a problem. <laughs> they should already know it. They should know it. <laughs> they should already know it. So, look, elections are going to come down where the Republicans are going to say, yeah, you know, maybe we didn't do so good, but do you really want the liberals in there? And yeah. then the liberals are going to say, well, we might not be perfect, but do you really want to have the conservatives run stuff? Yeah. In the end, it gets down to the lesser of evils, and people tend to vote uh, that way. Let's take the presidential election in 2016. The polls are clear. The voters that decided that election didn't like Trump and didn't like Clinton. Mm. They broke 60-40 for Trump, was about 4 million votes net. Those were the votes that decided it. Not unusual, lesser of the evils. Well, yeah, and you got to wonder how many of those folks have buyer's remorse today. <laughs> well, if any of them. I'm not sure. You know, I, you look at it, I was looking at some polls and stuff, and they're different different electorates. There's the midterm electorate where about half right. as many people will vote as in the presidential election. You have a very partisanized election. Uh, you, It's done by the states. It's a national election, but it's still done by congressional district, of course, and by state. 
I'm not sure how many people would change their mind, but it's clear that Democrats, as is typical of the out party, are more motivated to vote. Well, and they've shown that here. Uh, they showed it in 17, certainly. And um, we haven't been uh, been bad as, as in terms of being sort of a barometer, but that's the way the country's going, partisan uh, feelings. And it's not unusual. You hear the press talk about, oh, it's the most partisan thing in history, and Either they never went to school or, you know, they don't care. We've had elections that are way more partisan. People, oh, yeah. Right? And, that, and you know, we, we've overcome it. It's part of our checks and balances. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. There's no more dueling, so we've made some huge strides. Well, when they shoot, they shoot that guy, they caned him on the floor, Charles Charles Sumner, Sumner got caned on the floor. Yeah, by, I'm yeah. not saying bringing that back. No. But that's pretty partisan. Well, or we could just bring back the Thunderdome, that would, and we could sell tickets to that, because I watched the Under the Giant thing, and that got me going. Anyway, this normally Leahy here with, uh, with Paul Goldman. We're filling in for the Lee Brothers. Uh, we've got to take a break here, but uh, after the break, we'll pick this up. And we would love to hear from you. It's 454-1366, 454-1366. We'll be back right after this. Freedom isn't passed through the bloodstream. It's fought for daily. Fight alongside the Lee Brothers on WNTW, AM820, 97.7 FM, The Answer. We built this city. Well, we built something. We built this city. <laughs> it's Norm Lee with Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW, AM820, FM, 97.7. We would like you to join the conversation, 804-454-1366. Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit, Paul. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let let's let's get local a little bit. Well, it's local and federal at the same time. There's been a few stories I've seen them in National Journal, Politico, The Post. I wrote one that Dave Bratt, uh, congressman in the seventh congressional district, might be in trouble uh, in this in this election year, and that seems to be a growing sentiment among. Those of us in the cognoscenti, you know, <laughs> us us uh, who don't cognoscenti. I'm looking, uh, using the word, and looking at you. Uh, and that doesn't know. quite work. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you want to be, you got to work at it. Oh, well, I will work on it. I will work <laughs> at it. I will. I will definitely do it. But you know, there was. A, I think it was. Uh, uh, what was it? Christopher Newport put out a poll. It was about a month ago just gauging sentiment around the various congressional districts. And it turned out Bratt was the most vulnerable in that poll. People looking to make a change. His name was even higher on the list than Barbara Comstock, who was in the fight of her life up in the 10th congressional district. How do you read Bratt's district? You know, in a normal circumstance, Bratt should be around 58%. Yeah. That's what he would be. You know, um, we ran the last time. He barely carried Henrico. He did okay, uh, decently in Chesterfield County, uh, and the suburban areas are I don't know, fifty-five some odd percent of the total vote, maybe a little bit more. But what saves a Republican like Brad is even though the rural areas like Amelia Powhatan are smaller, they provide a very big net margin. Mm-hmm. Whereas the larger areas that have, uh, you know many more thousands of voters, tens of thousands more voters, they're closer. Mm-hmm. So when you analyze elections by jurisdiction, you do net margin, you don't do total votes. So when I, when you look at it, there were very few Hillary Bratt voters. Okay, and those would right. be, be the ones you'd say, well, they'd switch this time. There were 
some in Henrico, and I think he'll lose Henrico for the first time, and I think he'll lose it with a sizable margin. There weren't that many Hillary Brad voters in Chesterfield. Trump actually carried his part of Chesterfield, but I could see Brad being in trouble in Chesterfield based on the other elections. However, you would analyze that, and I could say, well, I gets Brad maybe again the 53. But how do you crack through the rural voter? Because right. that's straight Trump, Brad. There's no indication they want to switch. Brad's going to call whoever the Democrats nominate a, a liberal. He's going to do this, do that. Right. And a difficult district to get known in. There's no major media market. Um, Outside of Richmond. Right, very hard. Brad will play that card. Um, the Democrats going to uh, come up with a different image regardless of who wins the Democratic Party primary. But I think Brad's sitting at 53. Now, if you're at 53 and you're the incumbent, you got to look out because you got differential turnout. You've got... And what happens in these kinds of elections is that, and even though there's not as many swing voters or independent voters as there used to be in, in, in a Virginia election, there'll be some. There'll be a decent number, decent percentage. Now, they're not really going to know who's challenging Brad to the end. Mm-hmm. It's generally what happens. The incumbent is going to have a higher name ID. Brad doesn't have as much money, but he's got a lot of higher name ID. And those voters at the end is when they start plugging and paying attention. Right. Well, if they go one way or the other, if they are decided that whatever mood, whatever forces is out there, well, yeah, maybe I got to for change or this or that, that's when an incumbent, that's why incumbents can be ahead 47 to 30 and wind up losing 53 to 47. And people say, well, how is that possible? That's because <laughs> the 20% who are in the undecided column really didn't really want to vote for Brad, but they didn't know who else was running. And so yeah. they didn't move until they knew. Well, and the Democrats right now, they have two leading candidates, what, Spanberger and Ward. And yeah. Ward. Ward is from the rural part of the district. And that's his pitch is that, you know, I'm from the rural part of the district. I can. I have common cause with these people. I'm the better candidate. Um, I don't know about that. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, how much is that important to people? And, of course, by saying that, what are you saying to the urb- the suburban voters? Well, I don't really know much about you. I'm yeah. not sure that pitch is, it sounds like it's more of a rookie's pitch. You right. can talk about things without sort of getting, because truthfully, what difference does it make where you're from? what your skin color is, what your gender, that's not supposed to matter. And so the more you push that, the more you sort of go away, certainly from the Democratic uh, ideal. So I don't know where that will work. I don't think it's going to matter that much. The election's going to be very nationalized, this congressional election, more than probably most. And who knows in the last couple of weeks when they get decided what, you know, people just may very well go in there and if they know who the incumbent is, vote no. And and that is probably going to happen not just... Everywhere. In, it's going to happen everywhere. Comstock, I would say if I had to bet now, Comstock can't win unless the climate changes. There's no reason to think it will. Garrett's got a district, but it's going to be the perfectly kind of district and go late. You know, you, and, and, and I say Taylor down in, in Tidewater, you know, I think him and Paul Ryan will be setting up their own law firm next year, <laughs> frankly. Well, they got a good name, Taylor Ryan. <laughs> or Ryan to RT. Well, no, not RT, because then that makes sense. Ryan like Russia Taylor. To, they may think that's a movie star. Or, yeah, or a, or a, or a New York Giants uh, linebacker. Anyway, <laughs> we're, uh, we got to take a quick break. We're, I want to come back to the congressional elections on the other side of the break. But uh, normally he and Paul Goldman, uh, the 
one of a kind Paul Goldman here, filling in for the Lee Brothers here on uh, FM 97.7 WTNT. We'll be back right after this. Kind, compassionate, and tolerant. Oh, wait, that's a different show. The Lee Brothers on AMA 20, 97.7 FM, WNTW, The Answer. Yeah, and I, I have been informed that I it, it, this is WNTW 97.7. And I think I'm still normally, and I know you're Paul Goldman. So I just want to make that clear. For the next clear. hour, that's all. And after that, you become what? Dom DeLuise? Well, it could be. And I, okay. And I become Howard, Mel Tillis. Howard Stern. <laughs> well, we've got our own Gary Delabate here at the board, so it. we're set, man. Oh, we need a Robin Quivers. Find one for us, Paul. <laughs> uh, just to spice things up, and let's go the whole hog. And uh, and if you can find a, a, a Jackie the Joke Man, that would be a big bonus for I'm us. Working but, hey, you're working on it. But, uh, yeah, so I understand. Mark, please tell me if I'm wrong. That if when people call in, they're automatically entered in a in the drawing for a Ruth Chris, Ruth Chris gift card. Gift card. Yeah. So that's an incentive to call in. If you like to go to Ruth Chris Steakhouse and you want to talk to us, you have to call in. You have to call in to do that. You're automatically entered if you do. That number is 804-454-1366. You have to give our producer your information to be entered so you can't just be some dude on the road calling in you have to give him the information but if you do call in you give the producer the information you will be entered it's it's four five four one three six six we will put you on the air we'll be awesome and happy and we'll talk to you and hopefully you can uh, contribute to the conversation in fact um you might want to tell us if you live in the seventh district do you think dave bratt's in trouble paul and i seem to think so what do you think but uh, i want to something i saw in politico i saw it this morning is chris la Savita, you remember well-known yes. political consultant big in Cuc Ken Cuccinelli's 2013 campaign for governor. He said, um, we got 30 seconds to do this uh, this spot here, but he said uh, that uh, Bratt and Tom Garrett are not raising enough money, and what they're doing is they're making themselves targets. And that nothing they do is going to win them election. It's going to be what other people do for them. Well, I guess Chris is pitching himself for a contract to help him out, huh? Did you read it that way? I kind of <laughs> read it that way, too. It seemed like, you know, hire me, guys. I can help you win. That's what you do. Well, we're going to be back on the other side. I guess we're going to new. The Lee Brothers, showing off the First Amendment and using the second only when necessary. On AMA 20, 97.7 FM, The Answer. And this is Norm Leahy, along with Paul Goldman. We're sitting in for the Lee Brothers today on... AM 820, FM 97.7, WNTW. Talking about Virginia politics today and other things. Uh, we start off with impeachment, too. So um, I want to get back, Paul, to that thing about uh, about the congressional races. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about Brat, but uh, more about Tom Garrett over in the 5th. You know, he's got two urban anchors there, Charlottesville and Lynchburg. Right, they're not, you know, they're not um, all that big. Although uh, I guess when um, uh, Periel took out Good, because um, Charlottesville wasn't in his district, uh, you know, Garrett should not have that much. I mean, he it'll be closer than he thinks. Yeah. But if he works at it, a district like that, uh, unless Trump's approval rating just just totally craters from where it is. Um, I think, you know, Garrett should be able to survive. Normally speaking, the election is about the incumbent, and particularly this election. Mm -hmm. Trump has made it that way. He hasn't really 
made it uh, easier for uh, Republicans, of course. And, you know, but the, to me, Paul Ryan is a general. Your general quits <laughs> in the middle of a battle with your troops on the battlefield. <laughs> it was I extraordinary. Mean, I mean, I've never, I've read a lot about politics, and I know some speakers have resigned, of course, but not under those conditions. I mean, I don't understand I don't, I don't get it. Cut and run. I mean, didn't Lincoln fire his, what was that general, uh, McClellan? They fired him because he wouldn't fight. He wouldn't fight. You know, and, and so to me, if the Republicans are serious about making a go of this election, they actually want to fight, they're going to get rid of Ryan because the speaker's supposed to be the one raising money, leading the troops, yeah. trying to figure out what to do. If they don't replace him, then I just think it's, uh, it's like Roberto Duran. No mas, no mas. They threw in the towel. Well, they're trying to. He's uh, He says, I, I'm not going to resign as speaker. I'm, I'm staying. There is a move to try to get rid of him. But I don't know how much traction that's going to gain because a lot of these guys have been told right now, you need to be out raising money for your own races. It's almost like they've been told, don't count on us. You're on your own. Uh, and 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 if, maybe if you're lucky, these outside groups will be dumping a bunch of money into your into your uh, campaigns too. And that's in the case of Garrett and Brad. That's the general opinion is that outside groups are going to come to try to shore them up and pull them over the line. And I, I agree with you on Paul Ryan. It is extraordinary to have somebody drop out like that. They got to get. I mean, before the, an election, the Republicans are serious. If they really are serious about fighting this, you can't fight. Without a general, and the general is the speaker, and so you got a lame duck general. I mean, it's gonna be like Omar Bradley on D Day saying, "This is a lot tougher than I think." I'm going to go back to England. Keep me informed. Yeah, I want a desk job. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> huh? But and then uh, you 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 mentioned uh, Scott Taylor down on the second down on the Tidewater. Oh, he's in trouble. That's a little bit of a swingy district. That's it's why. Yeah, that's a swing normally. Yeah, and now again. The out party in a usually gains, or the president's party usually loses. I don't know in the twenties, maybe a little bit more uh, in in the normal off year. Mm -hmm. Particularly now, you have this is not going to be the normal off year, mm -hmm. and Trump's approval rating is lower than you'd like, and that has been a reasonably good indicator of how things happen. True, it's only uh, April. The election won't get framed in a lot of regards to the summer. People start feeling about the economy and these various other things. But right now, you got Paul Ryan quitting. you got a lot of Republican incumbents resigning, which Brilliant. tends to yeah. be a bellwether too. Mm -hmm. All these things are happening. So who's the one, the general, who's going to sit down and you don't say everybody's on his own. It's not a Chinese fire drill, as they used to say. <laughs> this is a party. Now, if they're going to take the Trump approach, which is sort of less party, less ideological, I get that. But yeah. That's, but that's not a way to win it, a major nationwide it campaign. It really hasn't because you're, you're getting the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Well, that's the path the Whigs took, wasn't it? You're basically on your own. Make it up as you go along. And Lincoln did. Yeah, Lincoln figured that wasn't going to work, and he, he jumped over to the Republicans. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the Whigs are back. You know, on the 7th, they have a candidate. I know. <laughs> I know. You know. You heard that. You you, I, I know that Whigs are nominated a candidate. I mean, the Whigs are back. It's not the same Whig party. Uh, why they call them? It's, 
I don't understand why 150 years later, when there's nothing to, you know, the name, uh, the, the platforms are different. Why would you take the name of a party? A dead a, one. A dead party that was from 150 years ago. Well, I'm waiting for the, somebody to declare as a federalist. That would be awesome. Bring them back. We don't know what they stand for, but we're bringing them back. Maybe that's, uh, I guess that's a new strategy. Uh, maybe you figure, oh, yeah, the Whigs. Yeah, I kind of remember. We're going to the reboot them. It's just like Hollywood. Well, we got no new ideas. Let's go dig one out of the closet and remake it. Well, there was a couple of, you know, presidents, I think, for Virginia that were Whigs. Well, yeah. Uh, William Henry Harrison. Harrison, who was the president for a couple of hours. And John and, Tyler. And Tyler. And was Zachary Taylor a Whig? Zachary Taylor was a Whig, too. Yeah, so the you know, Virginia Whigs in that period there, they did reasonably well, but... And if I recall correctly, Richmond was a center of Whiggery at the time. It was sort of an outpost in the state, which was still Democratic-Republican. And, you know, and that's... But to bring it back, 150 years later with the same name, I mean, what kind of, mar <laughs> what kind of marketing is that? Uh, that that's retro-marketing. Right. They're, they're probably going to bring back hula hoops and, uh, and give away Twizzlers. I don't know. <laughs> you know, or, or Slinkies. Or, you know, every... every the Slinkies, that might get some people's attention. Yeah, I was you know, like, I like the Slinkies. They'll have Greg Brady out on the stump. You know, let's go throw back all the way. Let's find somebody find Ginger and Marianne. Thank you. I, I could understand it if they were running the great-great-grandchild of uh, Zach Taylor or something. Well, John Tyler's grandsons are still alive. Trot them out. Could be. I got a, <laughs> I got a long memory. Yeah, they do. Well, you know, Grandpa believed this. So that brings up the question, are they Tyler Wigs or are they more Henry Clay Wigs? Well, the thing was, I think they, did they deny Tyler the renomination? The they Whig? did. Yeah, so, you know, that's, I don't get the Wig, uh, Wig connection, but hey, that's what it is. And the thing is, you're not even on the ballot as a Wig. It's not like they had a line that you, no. hey, you know. You and, can't resurrect it. So, what? I, I, I can't figure it. Uh, but I know their color is what? Some sort of a buff yellow or something like that? Uh, you know, so that'll be interesting if we can put that out there. That would be great, especially uh, to do on a, an election night Chiron, you know, put up there that <laughs> yellow color. What does that mean? But and then uh, I wanted to get, go back up to uh, Comstock's race in the 10th district. That's in northern Virginia. She's got a challenge uh, from Shack Hill in a uh, in a. I survive a, a primary. Then she's got to fire the tsunami, right? And, and really, I mean, she'd. Uh, good luck. Well, yeah, because she's tough as a campaigner. I mean, she she knows how to fight back, uh, and has won that seat against some pretty stiff odds so far. But she's never faced anything like this. She ran ahead of Trump in her district. Well, she in was able to give her credit. Uh, she was able to distance herself from Trump in Northern Virginia. He was not exactly the most popular person in Northern Virginia, but I don't see how she can run away from Trump and survive this time. You would need a massive amount of money. You'd need a, basically a brain-dead Democratic opposition. You'd need Trump to sort of um, maybe change his M.O., and that could happen. But if I were Comstock, I know what she's thinking, but for Trump. <laughs> um, I could win. I mean, she might be better off, you know, and just not not running and going for governor in 2021. Because, look, right now the Republicans, who are they going to nominate against Kane? You got Corey Stewart, who, come on, he's he's a half, he's two courts low in Lincoln. I mean, come <laughs> on, Corey Stewart. And then you got Reverend Jackson. Who's actually, when you talk to him, is a very sweet man. Well, sure, most people who are, like, got a screw loose, they sound... But look at his record. Look how he campaigned the last time. 
these these are if you're a party, and and I understand that you you know the principles and things. I get all that, but these are not particularly principled guys relative to the ideology. They're sure losers. They are drag on the ticket, particularly Corey Stewart, and. But in the uh, in the straw polls that have been held so far, and granted, a straw poll is worth what the candidate pays for it. Uh, Nick Friedis has come out ahead in those. It's a little surprising. I mean, you know, um, but but I I argue he's the kind of candidate that the GOP needs. They need some new faces running statewide. Their old faces are uh, not only old; they're losers. Well, let's let's be practical. And they're burning up their bench. Well, let, let's, you got to be practical at some point. I, I think William Buckley uh, was probably right when he said in terms of his position was, you know, he would support the most electable conservative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, yeah. that may not be a popular thing to say. And maybe today William Buckley would be considered, you know, left of Stalin. I, I really don't know. <laughs> but the, but the, the bottom line is it's a, at some point, you have to think about winning. You have to think about governing. You can't govern without winning. No one's saying you should be unprincipled. But there's some people who, by their own actions, are unelectable. Right. And Corey Stewart and Reverend Jack, they're unelectable. And that makes a difference when you're running statewide, especially in a year that's already looking dodgy at best for Republicans. It's It's... Well, well, we'll talk more about the dodginess uh, after the break, but uh, normally Paul Goldman sitting in for the Lee brothers. We would very much like you to uh, join the conversation with us. It's uh, 804-454-1366. We'll be back on the other side of the break right after this. Representing the end of political correctness. It's the Lee brothers on AMA 20, 97.7 FM, WNTW. Somebody yeah. told me the world We're back. We are. Yeah. Normally, Paul Goldman here filling in for the Lee Brothers here on uh, WNTW AM 820 FM 97.7. Give us a call. 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366. If you think we're out to lunch, tell us. Um, we'll debate that, <laughs> but only if you're buying the lunch that we're out to get, allegedly. Um <laughs> Which is always debatable because what you only eat nuts and berries, right? No, I'm I'm, you know, I'm a vegetarian. People are coming my way. <laughs> Actually, you know I am too. It's it's taken a, a, most of my life, but I, I'm going I'm going that way just because my doctor says so. So uh, I and I pay him enough, and if he says <laughs> it's true, then it must be true. Well, but anyway, I, I keep paying if you're not going to listen to him. Uh, w- w- yeah, exactly, right? exactly. But uh, I, let's let's. I want to get back to this Senate thing because I do think that Nick Freitas, the delegate uh, from up in Northern Virginia, really does represent the kind of Republican that needs to be out there right now. He seems he's a new face. He is inexperienced, obviously running statewide. Has a good backstory, veteran, served in the war. Um, he hits all many of the right buttons with people who are Republican voters. Talks a lot about the the. I guess for lack of a better term, he talks about the old Tea Party message that seems to have gone by the wayside with some of these people, particularly the ones in Congress right now. But still, against running against Kane, it's prohibitive. But I can't help but think. About Mark Warner in 2014. That was a tsunami on the other side, though. 
Yeah. That's that's the difference. Uh, you know, the, the Republicans haven't won a statewide race since 2009. Okay, now that's a long time. It is. Bob McDonald won, but he's not a... You can't really. I, mean, I defended him, and I think I was the only one that wrote that they would get rid of the charges because the, the 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 prosecution was way over the line in that. But he still can't be rehabilitated. Bill Bowling has been rejected by his own party, and Ken Cuccinelli uh, ran a decent race and almost won the governorship. Don't know whether he'll run again. Then you got to go back to George Allen, who basically does not out of politics. Good guy. I, I've done some work with him. I like him, but he's out of politics. So who do the Republicans even have for a, a model? If you say I'm a Virginia Republican, mm-hmm. you got to scratch your head. You know, the Democrats got Warner, they got Kane, they got McCullough, they got they got Northam. You may say you may not like them, but public can get an idea of what kind of a, what a Virginia Democratic means. So it's harder to sort of scare people about it. And so, you know, you got to look at that that way. Politics is like that. And I know I can hear a lot of Republicans say whatever they want to say. I will tell you this. You cannot build the political party on the, on the basis that the people in the party are smarter than the public. Not only that, <laughs> that's supposed to be opposite of the Republican sort of message, which is the people are sovereigns. So whether you like it or not, if you just want to make your point and make your ideological point to the extreme, but you know this is one of the few countries you can do it in, and you can do it with the legal protections, and you can go around. You might even win an election now and then. You will, but if you're because eventually they'll you'll be on the ticket and they want to vote out the other part. That's what happens. But if you're a serious party that want to, wants to be taken seriously over time. You got to look at the state you're in. This isn't the same state when we were running Wilder's campaign or that kind of stuff. You know, Doug Wilder won his election by 0.1% of the vote. It was what, 10,000 votes? 6,000. 6,000. If you had the same electorate today, he would have got like 62%. Mm-hmm. Okay, when we did Rob and the Democrats in the 80s and when I was chairman of the party, you know, we really had to get a lot of swing voters. We had a really sort of appeal. We had three straight victories. Uh, sweeps. And then, of course, the Republicans started to take over. There's always a back and forth and a swing. But you look at it, and but you have to adjust. And no one says you're changing your principles, but it's like Bill Buckley was trying to say. You, you still got to win. You still have to win. Ultimately. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have principles as much as you want and as strongly as you want, but if you don't win, well... You're out on the side. And eventually, your principles fade away because they're associated with 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 losing. So, you gotta, you know, there's time for the American Revolution. There's time to the Alamo and go down for go all down time fighting. and make your point. <laughs> say, it, it, but politics tends not to have those many times. Politics tends to have a practical sense, and if you can't do it, that's fine. But you can't blame the people. This, this, we see that so much. The people weren't smart enough to understand me. That's not a successful. Or strategy. the people were dumb enough to be gulled by these ads and yeah. fake news, and oh, they're they're just dupes. Hey, well, think about it. Why would anybody vote for you if they think if they think you think they're a doofus? It's not going to happen. <laughs> this people's logical. Well, I always start from the what I think is a safe place, which is that you can't trust any of them. <laughs> and if you don't trust any of them, then they, they can go nowhere but up. You got to trust the people if you're in politics and in a democracy. You have to do it. That doesn't mean you always agree with them, but you can't 
If you don't trust them, you, you they'll read that. They'll you, get you. You won't get a lick. Well, and speaking of get you, we're going to be back on the other side of the break uh, to pick up more about this. Give us a call, 454-1366. We'll be back right after this. Our version of the Federalist Papers, without all that reading. It's the Lee Brothers on WNTW AM 820, 97.7 FM. And this is Norm Lee here with uh, Paul Goldman. Uh, filling in for the Lee Brothers on uh, AM820, FM97.7, WNTW. This just came over the wires. The Inspector General report on uh, Andrew McCabe, the uh, fired former deputy director of the FBI. And I'm going to read you a quote here from this report that was just released. It says, we conclude that McCabe's decision to confirm the existence of the Clinton Foundation investigation through an anonymously sourced quote recounting the content of a phone call with a senior department official in a manner designed to advance his personal interest at the expense of department leadership was clearly not within the public interest exception. In other words, he uh, he did this for himself. They busted him for it. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> not a big fan of advancing your own interests when you're a public servant. <laughs> well, you know, uh, if only more people held that same thing. I uh, uh, during the break, I'm going to do some more looking into this thing to see if there's any more uh, interesting quotes that I can dig out of this story. But um, we definitely, oh boy, the whole table of contents is here and everything. Oh, this is going to be some light, fast reading. <laughs> anyway, Norm Leahy and Paul Goldman are sitting in for the Lee Brothers, and we'll be back on the other side of the news. Give us a ring, 454-1366. And we're back. Norm Leahy, Paul Goldman, sitting in for the Lee Brothers here on AM 820 and FM 97.7 WNTW. We'd like to have you join the conversation. 804-454-1366. Paul is anxious to take questions. Yeah, we need questions. Impeachment. And what do you think is going to happen? We got this Scooter Libby thing, right? Yeah, Trump, yeah. Trump uh, pardoned Scooter Libby. Does any of you know who Scooter Liberty is at this point? Well, you know, that's that's a big question is how many people remember that whole story with uh, Mr. Libby, who was, what was he? He was, uh, he was Cheney's chief of, chief of staff. It was, uh, he was Cheney's guy. And, I, and that sort of led to the Cheney-Bush split. I really do, because, you know, Cheney wanted uh, certainly Bush to pardon him before he left office, and Bush wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And now Trump has done that. This is Trump's third pardon. I don't have any problems. I think other some people will. Let's see, look, the president's elected, basically unfettered uh, pardon power. Democratic presidents have did it. it showed, what Bill Clinton pardoned that crook. The, the, Mark Rich. Mark Rich. Come on, that 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 smelled, uh, you know. And um, but that power is absolute. It's absolute. Well, unless you, you know they got that guy in Tennessee, that governor. That could have been the Tennessee Constitution. But yeah, yeah. basically, a president can do whatever. He or she wants. He, uh, I don't think they should have sent. I mean, I wasn't happy with how they handled the school delivery thing. Uh, frankly, I thought, uh, you know, when you do criminal stuff, when you hit someone on a criminal indictment or any kind of criminal violation, it's supposed to be absolutely clear. You're supposed to have, you know, it's not just reasonable. It's beyond a reasonable doubt. And anything that shakes your confidence, you're not supposed to go after somebody for 
criminal violation. I, I didn't think they handled all that well. Was that prosecutor or was it Fitzgerald or somebody out of uh, Illinois or something? I, it was a special prosecutor. I can't remember his name. We've had so many. Yeah, and that's a whole other thing. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of these special prosecutor laws. I think that the too much power to an unelected official, I got enough problems with elected people running stuff. <laughs> now we get some unelected guy. It's like... It's like a star chamber. Well, I'll tell you something else. I wrote this for The Hill recently last month. Mueller, the Constitution, doesn't allow him to indict the sitting president of the United States. And I think that's why he said he wasn't a target of the investigation. But he's a subject. Well. And there's a difference. Well, but, you know, he can't be in target because he can't be criminally indicted. Okay, but... And if you're criminally, and if you are a target, then you'll take the Fifth Amendment. They won't even ask you in because they know you're going to take the Fifth Amendment. So I just think Mueller's playing legal games here. I think that, um, I believe Mueller feels that Trump is dirty. I think Mueller knows that impeachment is the only way you can go. I think he buys the theory that, you know, that, that, that I have and other people have. And I think ultimately Trump, uh, they're going to try that. And I think Trump's crazy not to hire Dershowitz. Trump needs a good constitutional lawyer right now. You mean you don't have faith in Ty Cobb? Well, he was a, pretty <laughs> he was a good, good, baseball, good player. baseball player. But, you know, he only got known because he wrote letters to, what was that that famous sports writer, George? I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. And uh, he, Grantland Rice. It was Grantland Rice. Rice. And he kept getting those letters from somebody saying, have you seen this kid, Ty Cobb? He's really something. <laughs> and eventually he, he got so many letters that he came out and saw him. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, well, so speaking. OK, you think Mueller thinks you think Mueller thinks Trump's dirty. Absolutely. I mean, everything he's done indicates that. So like the referral of uh, of the stormy of the of not not I get them all confused now. It was his lawyer, Trump's personal lawyer, uh, Michael Cohen. Yeah, Michael Cohen. You know, it's. It's always a problem when your lawyer, I mean, you go call your lawyer and they say, sorry, your lawyer's in jail. Get me another lawyer. <laughs> I mean, when your lawyer's got more troubles than you got, you got the wrong lawyer. Look, he needs a top heavyweight lawyer. And you think it's Dershowitz. Well, he had dinner with Dershowitz. He had dinner with Dershowitz and quotes. They wanted Dershowitz opinion on the Middle East. Why? Because he's Jewish. He has an opinion on the Middle East. What does Dershowitz know about the Middle East? Bottom line, Dershowitz is a good, brilliant attorney. Yes, he was one of O.J. Simpson. He was one of O.J.'s okay, lawyers. And they got this great, is he a yeah. Netflix? And yeah, okay. And he's a little bit of a media hound. I get all that. But he's smart. He's tough. He's got the uh, pedigree. Trump could do a lot worse and, frankly, has done a lot worse with his legal term. Well, yeah, I think we have a call now. Uh, Joe from Richmond. Joe, uh, you're on the air with uh, Norman Paul. Go ahead. Hey, how are you gentlemen today? Excellent, thanks. Excellent. What, what's on your mind? Um, two questions. One, um, how badly do you see the Republicans doing this fall? Do you see them losing the House Absolutely. and or the Senate? And or the Senate. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and two... If Republicans lose control of the House and or the Senate, do you see Trump serving out his term? Okay, Joe, thanks. Uh, I tend to think Republicans have lost the House. I think Paul Ryan was the last real signal you needed that, like like we said earlier in the show, the general just left. 
I tend to think you're right on that one. And that's not good. And the Senate is little dicier because they're statewide elections. And Democrats are defending a bigger field. And there are different issues Agreed. at play in every state. The thing is, you have to wait to see who the Republicans nominate until this, you actually get the nominations down. Because you could always nominate somebody who could lose a winnable seat. But generally yeah, right. speaking, I would say if you were a betting person, the Democrats uh, will control the legislature. Which, ironic, Trump would probably like. Because then he doesn't have to deal with Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell. He he would be the most, the and you know. No, but no, but then the then the Democrats hold all the chairmanships. Elijah Cummings holds government oversight, and he's going to come after him with with guns blazing. Well, I I, I would think the Mueller's and not it's going a, to be no more fun. Well, uh, you know, I would say Mueller's already made it the OK Corral. So it seems <laughs> to me that Trump was better off, and this is why he's better off. He doesn't have to cut any deals. No one can say he has to do anything. And every Republican that doesn't like him is going to need his veto pen. He will become Mitt Romney's best friend because he's be the only one who can stop the Democratic legislation from becoming law. It's actually not bad for Trump. Uh, and in fact, it gives him a chance to make a mid-course correction. It allows him to cut deals like on infrastructure, which he can't now, which he probably would like to do. Yeah. It would help him. There, you know, it's counterintuitive. The Republicans took over in 1994, and that helped make—it helped, helped, helped Clinton help win. Clinton. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I think— if if the elect if Trump survives all this stuff right now, and I think we, nobody can say that for sure, what's going to happen? I think he does, but we'll see. I think he's. I think he does too. I think he's a safe bet, not only to get nominated, but he's at least fifty fifty or better to win. If you look at if you, I've been trying to look at the numbers, and he's in a lot better shape running for president than you might think. One of his problems, however, is I mean he won twenty states by double digits, but a lot of them were small states. And um, his problem is going to be he's got Georgia. He probably Texas is going to get close, but they'll still hold on to Texas. Georgia's getting close. Florida, he took by less than a percent. So he has some problems with the electorate over the four year difference. But he's 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 in much better shape. And I think politically he would be in better shape running for president if he was up against the Democratic Congress. I and agree. Then, point. And, and I think uh, I think that's so he's he's going to be a big winner, even though he's going to be a big loser. One big assumption you're making, though, what? this business cycle is getting very, very old. That's true. And if thing and if things start to go sour, if the price of gas goes to four bucks a gallon, if we're involved in a war in any of the innumerable places around the world, we could be now. Yeah. Or if the economy goes sour, Trump is done. Yeah. I don't, all that, bets that are up. Be, but... I don't even see him finishing his term. Yeah. I see him just. Throwing up his hands. Maybe so. We got, Joe, thanks so much for the call. We really appreciate it. Right. We've got to go off Thank to you. break. I enjoyed it. All right. And uh, please, uh, we encourage more people to call us, but we'll be back right after this. The Lee Brothers, showing off the First Amendment and using the second only when necessary. On AMA 20, 97.7 FM, The Answer. And we're back. It's Norm Leahy and Paul Goldman sitting in for the Lee Brothers here on AM820 FM 97.7 WNTW. Give us a call, 804-454-1366. We're talking about, do uh, you think the president will be impeached? <laughs> uh, I don't know. The Democrats win They the hope House. he is. That's their campaign issue. I think 
the 218 election will go down in history as the impeachment election. That's going to be what historians are going to consider. However it turns out, Democrats win. I have no doubts if Democrats win that they will impeach Trump. Yeah. If nothing, assuming everything we know now, assuming like I do that Mueller's not going to try to bust the Constitution, he's going to report a report that will have all kinds of things about obstruction of justice, this or that. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, but I think they're going to impeach. You wrote that thing about Mueller might go the unindicted co-conspirator route. Yeah, if you want to look at the small, if he can do it, there are some. If he can do it. There are some DOJ rules, but if you go back to the smartest play for Mueller, is an unindicted co-conspirator. Why? Which is Nixonian. You, which is you're basically tainting the guy. Yeah. But he can fight back. If you criminally indict him, you can go to the Supreme Court and say it's unconstitutional, probably win, and everybody will say, well, Mueller's discredited. You do an unindicted co-conspirator, well, Trump can't go to the Supreme Court because he doesn't have standing because he's not facing any prosecution, but you got the same taint. But and yeah. Mueller doesn't have to prove anything because he's unindicted co-conspirator. He's only going to have to prove it against the indicted one. So that's why I wrote that. But he's fundamentally, politically damaged the president. That's That would be the point. I think for a prosecutor to do that, I have a lot of problems with it. I don't think that's what the Constitution really intended, but that's not the point. I have a feeling that's the way they're going. We got a call from Joseph in Suffolk. Joe, go ahead. Hey, what's up, man? All right, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, McConnell, this closure rule. What the hell's up with that, man? You mean you know, cloture? Yeah, the cloture. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well. No, no, I, no, no, I understand it. But the whole thing is, you know, his, his excuse is, well, we, I don't want them, uh, the Democrats to do it uh, once they, if, if they ever... Uh, you know, have the House and Senate, or well, the Senate, I'm sorry. Okay, there's, there's no cloture in the House. Yeah. There's no shot. No, no, there's I, no, I meant to, no, it's meant no, to no, Senate. I got you. It's the Senate. Okay, oh, now, you. the history of that's kind of interesting. It used to be that you couldn't shut off a debate. A senator can just hold the floor. There's no such thing. Right. When Woodrow Wilson, after lying to the public that he wasn't going to go into World War Two, World <laughs> War One. Quickly got elected and said, oops, now I got to go the other way. His, he was worried about the fact that you couldn't get cloture in the Senate because there were several senators like Bora and others that were isolationists. So they worked out the two-thirds rule. And so that was how cloture became you, the filibuster rule. You could shut it off with two-thirds. Then, and that lasted all the way, and Johnson had to get that for the civil rights stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, but after that, they decided that was too much and they went to the, what we have now 60 yeah now as best i can understand it and i i know senators on both sides they don't want the senate to be like the house that's really what they're saying yeah, yeah that's what they and th yeah they pride themselves on, on being you know you and i might say really really that's what they think and so if if you don't have the cloture rule you're just like the house so it's okay, really right. less about when the others get over it's, it's their own expression of what they consider to be the great debating body. Now, you and I might think that's, you know, that's... that's no, I got uh, you. That's the gentleman way to think it. But right. the whole thing is this. Um, McConnell doesn't realize... Well, first off, if, if it was the other way around, if Democrats uh, would be in right now, they would have they definitely have passed that vulture rule. Uh, not necessarily. Not necessary. Uh, there, there, there are ways around it. You've got the Reconciliation Act. They've tried to get around it. Look, the truth of the matter is, 
Trump doesn't have a. Uh, he got his tax stuff through. Yeah. He doesn't want to cut a deal on infrastructure with the Democrats. He's doing what most modern presidents do. They see foreign policy and executive action is how the modern presidency runs. You have a handful of bills you might get through, but your presidency is basically run that way. It's not like it was when Johnson got all those, you know, in the 60s and 64, yeah. 65. But I can understand uh, your point about McConnell saying, oh, well, gosh, we can't get rid of cloture because then all hell will break loose. It's a good excuse for him to do nothing. It's I an agree excuse with that. to do nothing. Yes, yes. And the whole thing is, too, is once the, once these Democrats, this, this might have been a good talk 20 years ago. Oh, I don't want the Democrats <laughs> to, uh, to do it. But once the Democrats get in power, which is only a matter of time because we all have free will, they're going to take over and we will never see it again. So we need to, he needs to, to do it, whether it's the way to go or not, and get these things passed and get this, this country back on track. Well, I think uh, Mitch McConnell, in some ways, is just trying to run out the clock. Um, He's not for us. <laughs> no, he, no, I don't like McConnell. I'll tell you right now. You know, the, the, diff, the difference is between the Democrats and Republicans. The Republicans used to get beat up in high school by the Democrats. <laughs> they, Certainly they Mitch McConnell, he got beat up in grade school. Mitch McConnell oh, probably got beat never. up 20 minutes ago. <laughs> but uh, Joe, uh, Joe, we got we to gotta leap to break. Thank you okay, so much good. for was, calling. Was, I appreciate yeah, it. it. Was, I appreciate your guys' knowledge, too. Okay, All right, we'll take care. Well, folks, uh, th these are great conversations. Please give us a ring, 454-1366. We'll be back right after this. Freedom isn't passed through the bloodstream, it's fought for daily. Fight alongside the Lee Brothers on WNTW, AM820, 97.7 FM, The Answer. And it's Norm Leahy here with Paul Goldman, filling in for the Lee Brothers on AM820, FM, 97.7 WNTW. We would like you to join the conversation. We've had some good conversation with color so far. The number 804 454-1366, Before we go any farther, Paul, I wanted to remind everybody today is Thomas Jefferson's birthday. Excellent. And, of course, in honor of his birthday at UVA, uh, someone spray-painted the statue there uh, in all caps, racist plus rapist. Well, you know, that's <laughs> historic. I've often wondered how long they'll keep his, his uh, the Jefferson Memorial. And replace it with what? Well, I don't think uh, people think much. One to ask that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is, uh, he has, it's always going to be a very controversial figure. In his life, he was a very controversial figure. Of course he was. But, and that's why, that's how he made his book. He made his book off controversy. <laughs> and that's it. He was going, uh, my, I was, my wife and I were having this conversation this morning because that's kind of, you know, dorky people we are. But he wanted to be a world historical figure. And that's exactly what he became. No question. I mean, the, the, you know, the, <clears throat> that all men are created equal, probably the most, at the time, one of the most radical statements you could possibly make. Even Ho Chi Minh quoted that. Well, I, I mean, you think people have to know their history and forget all the gender. Just go back and understand your history. That is such a radical position. Because you're in the age of enlightenment and just having knowledge was pretty radical at that point. But, you know, it's a difficult history. Like even he said, you know, every generation is entitled to make their history. So it's one of those things. But clearly. Um, um, yeah, I just don't think it's wise to erase all of that history. I mean, yes, he had his flaws. Who doesn't? I dare you to find the person who doesn't. Um, of course, 
There are some who think that uh, we should just eradicate that, pretend it never happened, move on. But uh, I tend to believe that it's more important to study them, debate them, and accept them warts and all because they did things that, let's be honest, were not only radical for their times, but they risked everything to do what they did. Anyway, we're going to be picking this up after the break. Paul Goldman, Norm Leahy here filling in for the Lee Brothers. We'll be back right after this. Want to help Richard prove Scott's wrong once and for all? Call the Lee Brothers at 454-1366. 454-1366. And it's Norm Leahy here with Paul Goldman. We're filling in for the Lee Brothers, but you can still call us at 804-454-1366. We're still, uh, Paul, we're still talking about the national stuff. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about the possibility of impeachment. I don't know if you... We talked about this before. I mentioned to you before we went on the air, uh, uh, Deputy Attorney General uh, Rosenstein has basically set himself up as the Martin Luther figure saying, here I stand, daring Trump to fire him. <laughs> and, and you know, and you've seen the stories that Trump has threatened to fire, thought about firing just about everybody, probably even his, his kids at one point or another. I, I think he really, really wants to fire Jared Kushner, uh, <laughs> who we haven't seen a lot of lately. That's true. You know, where is he? But do you think that if uh, Rose, do you think uh, Trump's got a uh, Saturday night massacre in him? That's a good question. If I were Trump, I'd certainly get rid of Sessions. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, let's face it. Sessions is the one that got him in this. Sessions. Sessions. Under, did. Well, the old independent uh, prosecutor law that they uh, use for Ken Starr is no longer in existence. Correct. I know I was one of the ones we, we didn't like that. Too powerful. So it had to be appointed by Sessions, who accused himself, and so went to uh, the deputy. Uh, and Trump, I think, has a legitimate complaint. He should have had an attorney general there to um, cover his back. Now, I know everybody was, oh, well, the attorney general is supposed to serve the Department of Justice and all that. Nobody says no, but let's be honest. You appointed attorney general, you know, you know, John F. Kennedy appointed his brother. His brother. Okay, <laughs> thought it'd be a nice, a nice, um, a nice place for his brother to learn how to be a be an attorney because he really, really wasn't an attorney. Um, and so when Nixon went around looking for his uh, attorney generals, and every president is uh, Reagan appointed Ed Meese a yeah. long time. So of course presidents use their appointments, and I think Trump was double-crossed by Sessions. I think there's absolutely no right. If Sessions had told Trump, look, if this uh, Russia thing heats up, uh, dude, I'm not going to be able to <laughs> deal with it. You. Sorry, you know, I got to protect my integrity. I think Trump would never have appointed him. So I think he's got a legitimate beef. Well, yeah, he's got a... But what about uh, the other... But what about Rosenstein, though? I mean, because that's the guy, because <clears throat> Sessions recused himself. Correct. That really is the fall guy for anything that happens with Mueller. Well, I think what happens, uh, if I were Trump, firing Mueller, is, that's a loser. Well, yeah. It's that, a that's a political loser, whether you, whether you like it or not. That is a loser for Trump. The only thing Trump can do is get a new attorney general and work it behind the scenes. Because a new attorney general who basically could take over for uh, the deputy. Why not? 
Well, yeah, then that's the thing. And do you think, though, that let's say he got rid of <clears throat> Sessions. Let's just do a what if. If he gets rid of him, I don't have any idea who he would, he would appoint. Anybody for tra- anybody's anybody better for him. Than anybody. Me. Right. Can he get it through the Senate? Make a recess appointment. Which is good for how long? What, nine months? Well, it's long enough to do what it It's has long to enough be. to ride do, out the storm. Do what has to be done. All right, when is Mueller going to issue his report? One would presume he'll do it after the election because he doesn't want to risk being well, seen Well, now that's a big question, isn't it? Entering the election. Um, and, you know, our new attorney general could call Mueller out and say, look, let's just say that, you know, you can't indict the president. Why are you trying to do this? Why are you trying to do indirectly what you can't do directly? A new attorney general could do all that. But, you know, the number one thing Trump doesn't have is a lawyer around him who has enough sense enough knowledge of all the different levers here to say, look, if we, this is what you got. These are your options. This is what you have to do. Trump wants to keep the same people around him like Cohen. And he may be a very fine lawyer under other circumstances. Understand he had a lot of taxi medallions. He may be a great lawyer <laughs> if, you, if the president wants to get a taxi medallion. Yeah. Okay, so he can have a cab in New York City. But you're facing... One of the all-time constitute potential constitutional crises. You got a special investigator on your case. You have the Congress looking like it's going to go to the other party, with many people saying in the other party, "Elect me, we're going to impeach him." And you've got the press after you. We got the press on him twenty-four-seven. He needs a better advisors than he has now, but of course, it's ultimately on him if he can't figure that out. Well, which. Begs, I guess, raises the question: Why hasn't he gotten rid of Sessions? Can you think of anything? I can't think of a single good reason why he hasn't fired Jeff Sessions, or said, "Jeff, maybe it's time for you to go." And here's your letter of resignation that you're going to submit. I think he tried to get Sessions to do that with the hints. Sessions wasn't going anywhere. Now Sessions may be very well doing very well on other parts of the Trump agenda. And, you know, Trump may say this or that, but he may feel, look, there's nothing anybody can do about Mueller. Much as I like it, that the horse is out of the barn and I really can't do anything. But if I were Trump, I would certainly be sitting down. You got a guy like Dershowitz out there criticizing Mueller, this and that. Mueller, for instance, on the Cone thing, I think Mueller had to actually go to uh, the attorney general up the line before he could even refer the information. Correct. Okay, well, these are these are things that you know. Trump is just not; he's just not thinking ahead in terms of the chessboard. Too much reaction. A leader has to be ahead of the curve. If you're a leader and behind the curve, generally a bad place to be. Yeah, you're never going to catch up. Speaking of leaders, one guy we've never heard from. Where's the vice president? Where's Mike Pence? Is I've I've heard about politicians going intentionally radio <laughs> silent because they. They're in too deep. But Mike Pence is almost invisible. You know, he's kind of acting like Jerry Ford when the Nixon thing was heating up and everybody was sort of telling Ford behind the scenes, look, you might be president, so you need to keep your distance, stay out of anything controversial. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised Trump hasn't asked him to be a little bit more uh, aggressive uh, in, in defending him. Again, I'm not quite certain of Trump's Trump's strategy in terms of the chessboard, I can see, you know, moves that he makes, as you can, but they seem to be reactive 
And that's generally bad place for a leader to be. A leader has to be out front. Well, because think about it. During the 2016 campaign, Mike Pence came to Virginia quite a few times. I covered those. And he was a huge Trump cheerleader. Correct. Almost to the point of being fawning in his endorsements. of the. He talked about his broad shoulders ready to, it's, it's, it was almost creepy, but he's, 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 I think he's out raising some money, uh, for individual, uh, candidates and in campaigns, but he, if, do you think his political people are doing the, the Ford thing saying, keep your head down? I'm sure Paul Ryan and other people were telling him, look, <laughs> and the other thing, remember the one person Trump can't fire is the vice president. No, no, he can't. No. And that's another problem, too. And, you know, I think that's what a lot of Democrats, they get all wound up. Oh, yeah, we know what we're going to get rid of Trump and Trump is going to be good. And there's going to be, you know, unicorns and sunshine for everyone. No, then they'll have Mike Pence, assuming all of their best case scenarios come to fruition. Then there's they've got Mike Pence, who's no liberal. No, certainly uh, not. Of course, face a Democratic Congress, whatever. Impeachment is, you can impeach. I think that's, I really do think that's going to happen uh, the way the elections are going. A conviction in the Senate's not going to happen. No, no, because then you need Two-thirds. what? You need 67 votes. Two-thirds vote. People should read uh, President Kennedy's profiles and courage. I don't, I don't think you're going to see that unless Mueller has evidence that, that um, you know, you're going to need us, like with Nixon. Um, so... I don't know where it all goes, but this is politics. We have actually been through this before. We forget the 1876 election. That was decided <laughs> by a pre- by electoral commission. That most people concede that Samuel Tilden probably won on election day, but he didn't quite get the electoral votes lost by one in a, in a deal a lot of people feel was the deal to end Reconstruction and put the Republican in the, in the uh, that Southern Democrats sort of did it. The bottom line is, you know, we've had some very controversial, very close, very debatable elections, national elections, and, they, and, and even if they have a winner, people just keep fighting it. So this is not unusual, but of course, the, the world's different, more power. It's not like it was years ago, so it's, it's clearly more dangerous uh, to try to uh, negate an election, no matter how, how you feel about the ultimate outcome. No matter how good the ratings are for MSNBC on, well, we just negate it and everything will be great. It's just not going to happen that way. It's a little bit more complicated and, and certainly it's, it's some, somewhat. And it's more complicated by design. It's not supposed to be a parliamentary system where you can just toss somebody out. Oh, no confidence vote. You're out. Well, you know, that was, of course, specifically rejected. Perhaps we'll see a different Trump when the election starts in September or, or the leading up to it. I don't know what role he thinks he has to play. It's clear he doesn't like to be associated with losers. <laughs> so like here, here, and Corey Stewart can talk all he wants about Trump, but Trump's not going to come in and campaign no. for Corey Stewart. No, because remember, Trump fired Corey Stewart. Well, so, he's not going to win. Trump understands that. He, he could read the tea leaves. It's a, But it's like, what is weird, though, Trump keeps going in West Virginia, six electoral votes. You got that in the bag, dude. You need to go somewhere You've got to go to Florida. That's yeah. 29. If you don't carry that, you're you are, you're, 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 you're pretty close to done. Well, we're going to come back after the break and talk more about this. Please join us. Call us 
1-888-345-1366. We'll be back. Right after- Making radio great again. It's the Lee Brothers on WNTW AM 820, 97.7 FM, The Answer. And it's Norm Leahy with Paul Goldman here filling in for the Lee Brothers. We'd like you to give us a call at 804-454-1366. We were just talking about Paul Ryan during the break. What a loser. Yeah. <laughs> the, guy, the guy who leaves the uh, the part, the team, he left the team bus. I mean, it's just... And he was driving the right. bus. Unbelievable. You, you left him at the rest stop. I mean, really. It's un- inconceivable that the general would just... Quit like that. The speaker would give up in the middle. It's like Walter Matthau and the Bad News Bears. You know, he just quit. But then he came back and all was happy and they won the championship. I don't think that's going to happen this time. That's a, that's a Disney kind of ending. No. No. Ryan's going back to Wisconsin. He's going to stay in his job long enough to get a better pension. That's how the rules are. This guy's a wonky myth. All this talk, he's been there since he's 28. What has he actually done only thing I can remember him doing is he keeps, every time he gets a picture, you see him with that cup of whatever he got, some Starbucks coffee or something. <laughs> it's a, the guy's a nothing. You, you know, come on. He's going to go home and he's going to run for governor if Scott Walker stumbles. Oh, yeah. You know, I, yeah, no. no yeah, it's possible. But the, here's the thing. Uh, people have been talking about, well, who's going to replace Paul Ryan? Who's going to replace Paul Ryan? I don't think that's the question. Since... The conventional wisdom, and you and I, I guess, fall into that camp. The Democrats are going to take the House. The question should be, who's going to be the next speaker as a Democrat? It's a fair question. I think uh, um, Pelosi will be returned. I'm not so sure she'll stay for the full term. It's just a question of uh, she's worked hard. She's respected. You know, it's sort of vindication for her. And after you get some vindication... Maybe you got to make some tough things, turn it over to the to somebody else. The other thing is, if they don't do Pelosi, they're going to have an internecine fight. Gosh, know yeah. how it comes out. Mm-hmm. Probably not the way you want to go. Right. You want to have a you know you want to present your agenda both houses. My bet is that's the way they'll go. I think that well, there's uh, Democrats that are out campaigning right now for the House that are. Distancing themselves nice. from her. You're right. I mean, that's sort of a, a politics. But what's going to happen to the Democratic Party? <clears throat> and I think they're going to take over. But the the presidential wing of the party is way is going to be far left than the congressional wing. <laughs> okay, so the Democrats are going to be moving left, running for president. I mean, do you th- can you see any Democrat running for nomination of president who's not calling for the impeachment of, the, of, of Trump? So people have to understand that the game changes. Politics is a fascinating business. The chessboard's constantly, it's not like it normally is. They constantly rejigger in the chessboard. Mm-hmm. And so after things happen in November, gets rejiggered again. Then people start running for president. And they have a great impact because they're on the screen. People are covering them. They're all jockeying for votes. So this is, as I say... This is going to play out over time. Well, speaking of time, do you think Bernie runs again? Bernie Sanders? That's going to, you know, him and Biden is kind of interesting. Um, Biden's wanted to be president forever. Yeah. And uh, um, I don't think the age factor is all that important to people anymore. It was sort of getting like like China. Oh, there's only 70s just starting. 
So, um, um, and, and, and people on 70 this, is the new 50. Well, yeah, 70 is the new 50. He's just kind of got experience and, 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 uh, you know, uh, he's not chasing the women anymore. So we we're worried, can't. we're worried about that. And, um, you know, you'll, I mean, this is just an amazing, the country's so amazing and we're adopting to all these changes. Bernie was somewhat of an anti Hillary sort of place to go. He was defined by Hillary. He never was much of a Democrat. Will his constituency stay with him? Is Probably he can start with it because he's the purer figure. That's how we did it. A perfect contrast to Hillary Clinton. No one really thought about that he never actually did anything. He's but not he, going to have that contrast. Yeah, he doesn't have that contrast. He's certainly a, a guy with a lot of respect, a lot of integrity, did very well, has a lot of supporters, and you would say normally if he was like in the 60s, absolutely he'd be running for president. But is it the fact, I don't know, you don't know his family situation. There's going to be a generational fight inside the Democratic Party. Because there has to be. Because otherwise they have a gerontocracy at the top. It's, it's you know, and, and again, in the normal circumstances, what you would look for in this in this period on the Democratic side, history would say, the Democrats want to look for somebody who, who embodies the traits they don't like in Trump. So what is it? That's how Jimmy Carter got it in 1976. Unknown guy, pretty unknown, much from Georgia. Yeah, but who's their unknown guy? You we, never, well, maybe, we, you never know. We don't know by you have, definition. You had Barack Obama, somebody who can say, look, I'm not part of the mess. I'm clean. I'm new. I'm principled. Somebody people can get excited about. That's who history says is going to have the advantage in the Democratic Party presidential primary. Well, in the next hour, I do want to talk about that next guy who might be a Virginia product. Anything's possible. He had been governor of Virginia just recently. <laughs> really wants the job. It would be a nice way to finish off his resume. Not exactly the opposite of Trump, though. Not exactly the opposite of Hillary either. Of course, we're talking about Terry McCall. I think it's, you know, it's a matter of timing, but he can raise money, and that's always a big advantage. We'll talk about that uh, up in the next hour or so, but we got a, a breakaway here for a little bit uh, to pay some bills. Uh, normally, Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee Brothers. Give us a ring, 454-1366. We'll talk to you on the other side of the break. We'll be back after this. Kind, compassionate, and tolerant. Oh, wait, that's a different show. The Lee Brothers on AMA 20, 97.7 FM, WNTW, The Answer. And it's Norm Leahy with Paul Goldman, the one and only, here filling in for the Lee Brothers on AMA 20, FM 97.7, WNTW. Uh, we've only got a brief time here, so I want to tease a few things we're going to talk about in the next hour. We're going to talk about that guy, Terry McAuliffe, used to be governor. Remember him? He wants probably to be president. And we're going to talk about a few of the other potential contenders um, uh, against Mr. Trump in 2020, assuming he weathers the current Well, storm. remember, he very well may face a challenge in the Republican Party. And that's something that we haven't discussed yet, either is those who may decide to challenge I'd him in a primary. I'd expect that he would. I mean, history suggests that he will. And that's why we should be paying very close attention about who goes to what fundraising dinner in New Hampshire over the next few months. But anyway, we've got to break off here for news. Uh, again, Norman Paul filling in for uh, Scott and Richard. And uh, we'll be back uh, on the other side of the news. Talk to you soon.
And we're back. Norm Lay, Paul Goldman, filling in for the Lee Brothers here on AM 820 FM 97.7 WNTW. Give us a ring at 804-454-1366. We enjoy talking to you all. And uh, speaking of talking, Paul, before we went to news, I brought up Terry McCollum. You did. And uh, some people may have forgotten that he was governor for four whole years in Virginia and that uh, he's got his eyes on making a presidential run. At that least that's, that's, that's the assumption right now. He's putting all the groundwork in place and making the right moves, staffing up that sort of thing that one does in advance of a presidential uh, bid. But does he have a snowball's chance of ever being the Democratic nominee? You know, just looking at history, and um, I know him. Uh, obviously, people, can, Republicans don't think he was uh, much of a president. History is so much of a uh, governor. You know, history has some interesting things. Hmm. Your record as governor, really, or Senate, senator, really doesn't matter that much. Um, certainly governor and people, you know, Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas. You know, the only state that was seen better than Arkansas was Mississippi. And nobody really cared. Uh, governor Reagan was governor of California. It's, it's about, you know, you, you have a certain stature so you can be in the job, but it's all about the issues at the time. However, as a general proposition, presidential elections are about the incumbent, whether the incumbent is running or not. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's more intense if the incumbent's running. Sure. And generally speaking, the party, the out party, wants to nominate somebody who has the qualities that, that they, are, don't, they don't see. That in, they don't in, see in, in the incumbent. Right. And I think that, so I'm not so sure the timing is right for Terry McAuliffe. He might be better off uh, four years or something. I just think that people are going to look for a more Jimmy Carter-ish figure, a Barack Obama figure, somebody who looks like their immaculate conception. Yeah, they are in long <laughs> enough, but they you can't really connect them to anything. And so they can come up with a much more principled and ideological position. I just think that uh, McAuliffe will run into that when he gets up against this field. However, he can raise money. I think he's a very talented political guy, very likable guy. I think he'll so he'll start as an underdog, but if well, the but if the other folks yeah. who fit the Jimmy Carter, Barack Obama bill flame out because they can't play, who's to say? On the phone we have Jay from Richmond. Jay, go ahead. Yeah, I uh, heard about a statistic recently about the incumbent winning re-election, uh, and they said it was about ninety percent or even higher? Does that sound accurate to you? It's not 90% or higher, but I think a common does have an advantage. And one of the ironical things right now is there's only, we've had uh, incumbents elected three straight times. Uh, and uh, and, and you, know, you had... Well, wait a minute, Jay, right? are you talking about for Congress? So for, uh, for, for president? Uh, okay, so you had Clinton, you had Bush, and you had Obama. Now, the only time three presidents have ever won in a row re-election was back in the era of good feelings where you had the Virginians, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe. So even though people call this a very unstable time, if you look at it, it's been very stable at the national level. We give each pre- eight years. There was prior period where it was hard to get re-elected. So, but you can look at it a lot of different ways. 
But I would think you're probably right. Presidents who run for re-election tend to um, tend to win. But it's it's sort of like though with the Las Vegas. Everybody thinks, well, you know, if it comes up red five times in a row, you got a really good chance for it to be black at six. Those no, the same odds. The odds don't change. I think you know Trump. Um, let's take a look at George Bush. He 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 what? He lost by five hundred thousand votes. He ran for re-election. Had the clo- he had 271 the first time, electoral votes, he got 278 the second time. He did win by a couple of million, but it didn't change all that much. So Trump is going up not so much against the history of other presidents. He's going up against the really reality of the election that he faced. Yeah. He starts <clears throat> with 3 million people less who didn't vote for him, not invested in him. Yeah. Jay, does that help you? Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Yeah, I think... Um, Thanks, Jay. I think ultimately, though, if Trump does run, he stands a pretty good chance. Well, of you look winning. at the numbers. I've looked at the numbers, and he's got a lot better chance than people think. But I think he has a worse chance than he thinks because he needs not West Virginia, which he's visited four times. He's got those six votes, but he needs Florida's twenty. He only got three hundred and four votes, but two of those electors voted for, uh, you know, uh, so he had three hundred and six. But if you'd subtract Florida's 29, which he only took by less than a percent, he's almost, see what I'm saying? He's on the border, He's yeah. really on the, he's on, he can't really afford to lose much else. He didn't win Pennsylvania, he didn't win Wisconsin. No, he, he won, he by won. By a lot, by a lot. But he, he did. Him, but he won him close. But yeah, 78,000 votes would switch. So my point is that's close. It is, it is close. Okay, but. so it's not safe. So you got to carry Florida, you got to carry Georgia, you got to carry Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. So you start losing a couple of those. What what states did Hillary carry that you're gonna you're gonna pick up? Well, you got Maine. I I found there's 24 states that she carried, 24 electoral votes that she carried close. Mm. So the point is, I'd give Trump a decent case, maybe a slight advantage right now. But if you see Florida shifting away from him, he's right on the bubble. And they and he's got to he's got to run the table just to to survive. Well, I think that's why it'll be the outcome of the Florida Senate race this year. Now that uh, Rick Scott got in uh, to the race against Bill Nelson, the incumbent Democrat, that will be interesting because Rick Scott has got a lot of his own money that he can throw at that he'll race. Throw, he'll throw fifty million in. They'll have the governor, the Demo- you know, he's running against uh, Nelson, um, and you got uh, obviously you got a governor's race there. But what I find ironic is is Trump, you know, he that's his state. That's basically his home state. And um, one of them. Uh, well, I think he would call. <laughs> I, I bet that it could be very well where he lives. He's got to have Florida. There's almost no Republican who figures to be able to win without the state of Florida. That's just the way the electoral college. Well, yeah, you got to have that. They usually carry Ohio, which he did. He could lose, but if you know, if you have Florida, you're still at three thousand and six. So you could lose of Ohio. That's twenty. That gets you down to two eighty six. Not good, but you even can lose another state. But you know, if you lose Florida, you're down to two hundred and seventy seven. Yeah. And so you ain't you don't have a lot of room left. There's not a lot of room for error no. there. No. And he's probably and he won North Carolina. I think that'll be a challenge again, but I don't know. He took it by about three or maybe four. You know, um, I'm thinking, look, if you're struggling for North Carolina 16, you're struggling for Florida's 29, you're in that hand-to-hand combat for Ohio, Pennsylvania, it's not a good place to be. 
shows you don't really have a solid base. But the number one state for him is Florida because he barely carried it by less than a percent. Ohio, I think he took by eight. So if he's struggling for states that he took by eight, well, you know he's underwater in some other states. <laughs> the states that he, that he barely won. And you still think, and I still think, too, Virginia's out of reach for Republicans. Republicans in uh, can forget about Virginia. Once was the most uh, reliable Republican Southern state. It's no longer the case. Uh, Virginia's not any place for Trump. It's never. It's not going to be Trump. Company. You know, he could own all the wineries in the state. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and um, uh, that's reality. Yeah, it is. It's a hard reality, and it's something that trickles down and it affects Virginia Republicans running for statewide well, they're, they're not too. helping themselves. I mean, you know, and, and that's why they keep nominating. You got a Jackson and, and, and Stewart, people who have lost, show no ability to win, no ability to expand. And uh, speaking of expanding, we'll expand some more after the break. Paul. We'll, we're going to come back uh, after this break. Give us a call, 454-1366. We'll be back right after this. Scott and Richard Lee, the Circus Clowns of Talk Radio. On AMA 20, 97.7 FM, WNTW, The Answer. And Norm Lee, along with Paul Goldman, uh, with a little bit of, I don't know, is that is that techno music? Mark, what are you doing, man? This is not a rave. Can't believe the Lee brothers allowed that on their show. Well, there's just not enough ecstasy for us to have a rave, so let's leave it <laughs> at that. Anyway, we're uh, filling in for the Lee brothers here. You can give us a call. It's 804-454-1366. We're uh, talking politics stuff and uh, how Terry McAuliffe may or may not go anywhere. Tim Kaine has taken himself out totally. You think you you buy that? He's it's, not going anywhere. Well, you know, historically... Um Historically, runners-up have not always gone away. Uh, they tend to run, they tend to lose. I wrote a piece when I was predicting uh, that Sarah Palin wouldn't run for the same theory. I went through the history and said, it's not good. It's really not good. You need, Roosevelt ran for vice president, Franklin Roosevelt, 1920, lost in that big landslide for uh, uh, Warren Harding, and came back in 1932, 12 years later, because he had a name, came back, became governor, whatever. People who run for vice president and get rejected, they've never been four years later come back. And it, it, it's not logical, particularly if you're running against an incumbent. Wait a minute, I just, voted, I just voted against you for vice president. Now four years later, and, but they do. You got, you got all John Edwards leaving. You go down the whole list, they all lose. Yeah. I think Senator Kane's making the right move. I think he still has national ambitions. Um, but I think 2020 doesn't figure to be his year. I, I think he's making the smart point. What about the guy we haven't talked about, Mark Warner? Mark wants to be president, but in order to do it, he'd have to give up his seat. I'm not quite sure what his appeal would be, but he might not be a bad vice presidential choice, depending. It seems to me if I'm the Dems, though, i got to be watching Ohio and that guy, Sherrod Brown, if he gets reelected or something in Ohio, you know, no Republican's been elected president of Lost Ohio, and that goes back a long way. That's 20 key votes. I would think if he could carry Ohio big, uh, he'd have to be on anybody's short list for vice president. But I think Warner's on the list, too. I think Warner has to be, uh, uh, which is kind of surprising because it was only, what, four years ago that Warner came within a whisper of losing. Well, they had put the money into Gillespie because that tsunami comes late. 
Now, Warner would have to, uh, he under new Virginia law, he could run for vice president and run for re-election to the Senate. I don't think he would. I think he would probably not run for re-election to the Senate. That would open up some seats. I could see McAuliffe dropping down. I could then, do that, too. All that kind of, there's a lot of maneuvering that's going to go on. It always is in politics. I know most people would say, okay, Paul, that's great, but how does that benefit me? I didn't say it would benefit you. And so, uh, yeah, it would be nice if everybody did their job and you said and they were. But that's not the politics we have. That's not the politics in either party. It's driven by a lot of other things. But in 2020, it's going to be driven by people's reaction to Donald Trump. And that, you know, that's yet to be seen. We know what his feelings is now, but if the Democrats take over the Congress and depending on what happens to the economy in the national election, Trump could look weaker or, or stronger relative to right now. Well, and, you know, that's one of the things when you talk about um, at least the Virginia people who might have eyes on national office. With Kane and Warner stuck in the Senate and no credible challengers coming up, at least that we can see right now. That does mean that Virginia Democrats are going to have a bumper crop of ambitious young people who will have gone through the statewide offices. What do they do? For years, they they had nobody to do that, and well, now you, suddenly they will. You got, you know, for the next governor's race, uh, you got uh, Herring, you got Fairfax, you got the mayor of Richmond, Stoney, talking about, uh, talking about running. Um, you got various other people. You may have a member of Congress or two. Figures, hey, I could move up. Uh, when you know Democrats, because they keep winning, more people want to run. Who knows what's going to happen? And as long as the Republican Party is in the particular place where it is, which is we'd rather just nominate people who can't win, who can somehow make some points which are not clear to anybody, uh, then you know it's it's kind of ironic. But that's the way the politics goes. I do think Democrats benefit from the way the Republican Party has approached their electoral, their electability. And um, well, it's one thing. This is a tangential thing, but it's one thing I, I wrote that uh, the Republicans running in the Senate for the Senate right now need to have an answer if if Donald Trump wakes up one morning on the wrong side of the bed and says, "I'm firing Robert Mueller." The Republicans running in Virginia for any office on this slate need to have a response ready to go for that. Do you support the president? They definitely do. I mean, Corey, we know they, Corey, well, Corey, they, Corey Stewart will say absolutely should have done it yesterday. He should have done it a week and ago. In fact, if he won't do it, I'll go do it for him. I would think Reverend Jacks would say the same thing. I don't know what the, the other candidates would do. Certainly Freedom. the members of Congress would be sort of shaky on that. But this is what I'm saying the Republican Party, you know, Lincoln was a Whig, and then the Republican Party, and then the Whigs couldn't come up with a solution to the issue of the day, which is slavery. They tried to figure out some middle ground, and then and it wasn't any middle ground. It blew so, up. So Lincoln and others formed the Republican Party, and um, they were they were formulated for that. Then the Republican Party under um, um, and that lasted a long time. And then, of course, um, the Depression could have killed the Republican Party for a while. They came back with Eisenhower. And that wasn't based on uh, a Democratic pitch, a, a, a domestic pitch, which it had been under McKinley and, and others, Teddy Roosevelt. It was based on national security, that you couldn't trust the Democrats to take on the Russians. Mm -hmm. And Ike was the perfect guy to do that. 
Right. And he came up with a slogan, you know, national security, and then Reagan made that into peace through strength. And they, the Republicans won seven out of 10 elections when the Republicans, when the country was worried about the Russian bear. Once the bear disappeared in two, 1991, Democrats have uh, had a tremendous success. Well, the bear may be back in a different, with a different hat, but the same bear. But anyway, we've got to go off to a break. Uh, Paul and I will be back right after the break. Please give us a call, 454-1366. We'd love to talk to you. We'll be back right after this. Zero diversity, complete intolerance, and a total lack of fairness. It's the Lee Brothers on AMA 20, 97.7 FM, WNTW, The Answer. Uh, Susa. It's normally Paul Goldman here filling in for the Lee Brothers with uh, some uh, John Philip Sousa in the background. Well, it seems to me, isn't that that's the Trump parade music? We're going to see that military parade, aren't we? Oh, I thought we were going to play the baby elephant walk for that. Well, you know, I don't know, but that's going to be interesting. Have we ever actually had a uh, parade? Uh, I don't think we have. That's really something you expect from China, Kremlin, whatever. Yeah, roll the missiles down the street. Yeah, you know, everybody I salutes. Right, and that's it's kind of an interest. It's I think it's a New York ticket tape parade mentality. Well, we have a Edison from Richmond is on the phone. Uh, Edison, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, uh, enjoy you guys shows. Uh, Long time listener. Look, you know, I I don't have any solutions for this. Every time I hear something, it, it, you know, I think I've gone to something. Uh, I listen to all the leading talk show hosts, but as soon as I get to y'all, y'all come up with it some twists that I had never even thought of. I don't know if anybody even has. But let me ask you this, just for help's sake. What do we do? do? How do you unravel this? this, uh, How do you break it? How do you just go into Trump Towers and just grab material and and leave without any kind of, you know, responsibility? How do do you do that and, and, and get away with it? And just, you know, I mean... Is it a rumor? Is that what we've come to in this world? Is a rumor the only thing we need? Well, uh, we're going to have to, Edison, we're going to have to go to a break, but we will answer your question when we come back from the news. We'll do it then. We'll be back uh, after the break, after the news. Paul and I will ask what we can do to unravel all this stuff. We'll talk to you after the break. Freedom isn't passed through the bloodstream, it's fought for daily. Fight alongside the Lee Brothers on WNTW, AM820, 97.7 FM, The Answer. And it's Norm Leahy with Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee Brothers uh, here on WNTW. Give us a ring. We'd like to talk to you, 804-454-1366. Paul, we need to get uh, answer Edison's question. He asked about... Um, you know, what are we supposed to do when you can just march into Trump Tower <laughs> and start seizing a lawyer's records? Well, as a lawyer myself, I am concerned, and I think it's gotten to uh, not enough coverage. You're going after a lawyer's files. That's very rare. There are supposedly procedures in place. Uh, you have privileged communications uh, and um, all kinds of things in a lawyer's records. And you then... And, the only thing you could say is they had to go through a rigorous process in DOJ. You had to get a federal prosecutor to want to do it. You had to get a federal judge willing to issue a warrant. Correct. So it's not like you can just walk in there and do it. On the other hand, it's a very, very troublesome situation when the government's going after your lawyers. And I, I think it deserves more scrutiny than it's, uh, than it's got. Now, apparently, from what we're finding out now, Mr. Cohn has been under investigation for a while. For a while. And and some other things. So again, he didn't tell 
he didn't tell Trump? I mean, to me, if I was a lawyer and I knew I was under investigation, I would tell certainly my most prominent client. Which becomes a question. What did Trump know and when did he yeah, know it? I mean, Trump, Trump said, oh, I know. You know, that doesn't bother me. Huh? If my lawyer's being uninvestigated, it doesn't bother you? So I have a <laughs> feeling that he, either Trump is completely delusional in that regard, or he wasn't told. Or he, I would tend to believe that he wasn't told. You want to give the guy the benefit of that, he wasn't told. you got to give, you know, I'm, I'm And if so, that's that. one heck of a big surprise, isn't it? It's complete sandbagging of your clients. You need to tell your client, by the way, you should know. Now, of course, you don't want to admit that. There's a lot of other things. Plus, he's got to figure that they may have wiretaps on him. Yeah. There's all kinds of things that the federal government might, might actually have, depending upon what evidence they thought they had. And how long they've been doing right. this. So this is, a, this is a serious matter for Trump. But and it levels. is, and I agree with you, it is troubling to see them march in and seize attorney's records. It's supposed, it is rare. It's supposed to be rare, and there are very special procedures for that very reason. And they do it under the assumption, or they have to prove, that they believe they could not get them simply by subpoena. You're supposed to give an attorney a chance to cooperate and deliver the materials without a subpoena, without the FBI moving in. Right. They have to be able to convince the judge that right. the judge, this guy's going to destroy evidence, right. not cooperate. Right. We can't trust him. Now, that's unusual if it's been going on for a while. Now, what I would think, though, maybe there's a little disassembling, but I recognize that if you got the, the Stormy Daniels and the other stuff came up recently, mm -hmm. they may have said, well... We got to move quickly on that, but there's a lot here that meets that we're not being told. The FBI is not in an obligation to tell us every detail about its investigation. In fact, it shouldn't. Cohn could say what he wants, but it's not necessarily in his interest. This goes on maybe more than we think, uh, but it doesn't go on with the president and the president's lawyer. So that's why we're seeing it. It's troubling to me. And I wish, I hope the media goes into a little bit more and not just uh, defend what could be the indefensible. Well, and you see, that's part of the problem, too, is the press, they see this happening, and so that's the story. And I get it, because it is a story, but they don't put together that other pieces. Well, how often has this happened? What kind of comparables are there? And what have the results been of those kinds of, basically, raids? You know, it probably happens mostly on mob lawyers. Or lawyers that are clearly somebody who's engaged in, you know, criminal conduct. Well, now, Comey did say that Trump, in his meeting with him, reminded him of meeting the, a mob fan. Well, you know, that's, again, you know, Comey's gone from uh, the FBI director to sort of a media personality, and he's trying to sell his book, and that's fine. And um, But the, the bottom line here, you got to have the rule of law. It takes a lot of responsibility. When you have unelected prosecutors... And you give them tremendous power, as we showed, and I, I've discussed so many times with uh, about Ken Starr. I thought that was way too far. He went overboard, and you know the Republicans defended them. You know, and the Democrats attacked him. Republicans uh, defended him. You know, the shoe always goes on the other foot, as they say in politics. What goes around comes around, and yeah, your well. guy always gets in the. Yeah. You know, and so you gotta. It's hard to have principles on these things. It's hard to be able to stick to your guns. But I can tell you this: 
We don't need these unelected prosecutors. We have enough trouble with elected guardians, <laughs> these unelected, super powerful people. I just just don't know whether that's in the interest of this country. I thought we recognized that after Ken Starr. We got rid of the law, and now we're back perhaps in the same situation under a different law. Well, yeah, and the people keep bringing it up. We need more prosec- We need more special investigators to invest- investigate the special investigators. Well, that, it, it's a... It sounds like a full employment act for lawyers. Well, the other thing is, is people say, well, the, we, we can rein him in. He's got a we can... How? You can't do it because if a, pro- if, if a special uh, uh, prosecutor is going to go to the attorney general or deputy and say, I need this, well, if the deputy says, well, I don't want you to do it, he he could turn around and quit. We got uh, Jim from Tappahannock on the phone. Jim, go ahead. Hey, good afternoon. Hey, interesting in listening to you guys. I um, ran across you kind of by accident, and I um, am, am very interested in some of the topics you're covering. You know, one I was listening to earlier before we went down the, the, uh, the cone issue was um, the 2020 election and the potential Democratic nominee with Terry McAuliffe, Mark Warner, and you know, and, and some of those guys that were named. But my question is, what is it going to take to get through the Democratic Party nomination process in 2020, where you're going to have to go to the edge of, um, I don't know, communism <laughs> <laughs> to, to, get, to, get, to get nominated out of the party, like a McAuliffe or some of these guys that I consider – you know, they, they keep one foot in Virginia as moderates, and then they go to D.C., and they act, they follow the, the party, just like Northam's doing now, in my opinion. But, you know, when you go back and you think about 2016, you think about Bernie, you think about that energy that was coming, and now you think about the, the kids with the thing down in Parkland. And, you know, and, and I listened to a guy, a party leader like Cory Booker the other day, who's, uh, you know, a U.S. senator is questioning air potential director of the CR, CIA, asking him, what does he think about gay sex? You know, which is incredible to me to, you know, to, to make such a, you know, to even engage in that type of discussion. So my question is, who can go to the, the edge of the left and then jump back in far enough to appeal to the general electorate in order to, you know, it's not so much can McAuliffe beat Trump. The question more becomes, who can get nominated without going too far off the farm as, as, as an American? Um, and yeah. we most most of us essentially, you know, agree about our way of um, of governing ourselves. And, you know, in, in, in order to to get nominated out of that well, that's, party, that's why man, you know basically basically this is what every party faces, and that's why you have open sir. competition. And we'll see. Sometimes it can be done. Jimmy Carter was basically the more of the conservative side when he ran. In the Nixon years, he had some folks to the left of him. He got uh, 29% in New Hampshire, uh, barely won, but the publicity from that, I would think with the new rules and whatever, it's going to be difficult for one person to sort of emerge quickly. You'll have three, four. You could have a contested election. And then the Democrats are going to have to decide. But bottom line, the presidential politics in the Democratic Party is going to trend left and left of the Democrats in Congress. The presidential wing will be more liberal by the traditional analysis than the congressional wing. And that will have a very interesting effect on the nomination. And I think that's going to be the Democrats' biggest problem because they'll probably have a big field. 
Yeah, you're going to have 15, 20 people run. It's going to be like the Kentucky Derby when they got to bring out that <laughs> that second thing, you know. The second set of gates. Second set of gates, you know. Well, hey, you know, you, you, you kind of think, and that is, as Paul referenced, that's the problem with both parties. You have to learn, you have to run so far to the edge, you know, and then come back into the field of the general electorate. I'm thinking in, by 2020, the Democratic nominee who's successful may have to support the repeal of the Second Amendment. Well, I don't know. Well, the, the <laughs> thing is, remember, a lot also depends on the... It also depends on the politics of the moment. And therefore, we don't know what it's going to look like. Gen, like uh, Generally speaking, it's determined by the incumbent. So if, if Trump's in bad enough shape, any Democrat could probably beat that person. If Trump's in stronger shape, then there could be some people in the party saying, you know, we maybe have to dial back what we want to do. That's the beauty of our process and generally the beauty of the two-party system because it forces you to sort of think about a majority. Uh, and But it, it's the public's going to have the final say. Whatever the Democrats' public wants, well, that's what they ought to get as their nominee. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, Jim, that's why political junkies like us who have this stuff in our blood, kind of like Paul's told me, it's like malaria. You can't get rid of it. It's uh, it's and, why right. it's why yeah, we and, pay attention. And it's fluid, like he referenced. You know, right now we're talking about Parkland and some of those issues. Yeah. By next week, that could change. You know, that, absolutely, that absolutely. It's, it's yeah. Energy, and it could be a whole. New, it'll be really fun, though, to see if it turns out that for the first time in a long time since Jimmy Carter, the Democrats might have to nominate a morality candidate. We'll find <laughs> out, Jim. Thanks so much. We got to go to break. All right, man. Thank Thanks, you. Man. We'll be back. Right after the break, right after this. Our version of the Federalist Papers, without all that reading. It's the Lee Brothers on WNTW AM 820, 97.7 FM. Now, wait a minute. What is this? <laughs> I feel like I'm in a Looney Tunes cartoon right now. Isn't this the one thing? Anyway, this is normally... That was a Warren Harding's theme song. His theme song? Is, yeah. Yeah. Normally, with Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW, give us a ring. We've only got a few minutes left in the show. It's uh, 804-454-1366. If something's on your mind. We've been talking about all kinds of things. And um, I, I, I give credit to the our, our producer, Mark, for uh, coming good up music, with it. Good music. Good, good stuff. Uh, I, 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 I keep waiting for somebody to use some of my stuff I grew up with. You know, where's, where's the who? You know? Where's my, you know, where's that stuff? You need to, that, that's the kind of bumper music I'm looking for. I'm sure Paul's looking for something entirely different, but that's okay. But, but uh, I even forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> but, you know, the, uh, we, we've been talking about the lawyers and the possibility of impeachment and what Democrats are going to do. What do you, we talked briefly about whether anybody will challenge Trump in the primary in 2020. I think history suggests that he will get challenged. Like George Bush was in 1992. I just, well, it's a question of there's enough people who feel he doesn't represent their Dem their Republican Party. Uh, it's easy to sort of run. Uh, you can get a lot of publicity for free, just like he got it for free. Why not? Why wouldn't Jeff Flake run? Well, we I, got think he, I think he's a flake. Well, okay? I, I, I think I he's agree a flake, but why wouldn't he run? Why wouldn't somebody run against Trump? For whatever reason, you could raise the money. I expect it to happen. Think of the book deal. Matt from Richmond, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Uh, I just had a simple question. Um, since we know Andrew McCabe had been terminated via, uh, via the OPR, uh, via Jeff Sessions, 
um, President Trump himself fired James Comey. And I have a funny feeling uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page are probably cooperating with Michael Horowitz. Um, when and is it a chance uh, that Donald Trump can sue those individuals on an individual basis away from taxpayer money and protection? No. No, he can't. He can't do that as president. Well, the thing of the matter is, is, is you know, you have various things with the free press and various other stuff. He's got to show personal injury. You know, he's the president. He's sort of super well-known. You know, what actually did that change? The bottom line is most everybody uh, understands it's a rough business. It's unfair. But you're the president. You won. No one's got more power than you. It's a little strange to me. Particularly, Trump's from New York, and I'm from New York, and he, he, and, and my father knew his father. It's a little strange that um, he has such a thin skin for a guy that who, it's been in such a tough environment. And he, he, he did. He was a Queens boy, came to Manhattan, and took over Manhattan real estate. Now that doesn't mean maybe a lot for people down in Virginia, but that's an incredible feat. He basically showed all the people that didn't like his father. I'm better than you, but he, it doesn't seem like that's enough for him. And so if that's not enough for him and the presidency's not enough for him, I don't know what would be. Uh, Sunday night football. That's that's like a prime gig. Well, maybe he could be the quarterback or something and, th- and, and throw the pass and catch it himself. But the fact of the matter is he's done some pretty incredible things. Absolutely. And he doesn't seem to get any real pleasure out of it. Yeah, so it's... I, I agree. McCabe is with the IG report now being made public. It's clear that Andrew McCabe was fired for for genuine cause. Good riddance to him, and good riddance to him, and his and the people that leapt his defense started those GoFundMe things to support his pension and whatnot. They look foolish now well, for he, doing he that. He can, you know, whether you take away somebody's pension and then let's face it, this, that's another thing. I mean, there is a such thing as fairness. This is a country that believes in some of that. And, yeah, but there are civil service rules, too. Then. Yeah, and I understand. But it was so close. They waited. They made it look mean. And that, that and that's what I'm saying. When you're the president, you still got to be the biggest guy in the room. That's what Reagan had. That's what Kennedy had. They had that. Right. They were the biggest guy that, in the room. Do you think that Rosenstein might have hit the panic button? That he's, he's worried about the IG report and all the documents that uh, Tom Fitton and Devin Nunes requesting that that might have been a desperate reach to go after his attorney, Trump's attorney? No, I don't think that's it in, in terms of that, but I do think he's a little bit concerned because, look, anytime he's in a position where he's supposed to be holier than thou, right? <laughs> he's supposed to be the guy that's not influenced by anything, that I've been going through this. It's like Andy Devine in, in uh, Shawshank Resemption. He goes through, right, he went through a pipeline of whatever. Of a sewer. Of sewer, and he came out clean on the other side. You can't have a position like that and be totally clean. And in this environment, if you're not totally clean, you're dirty. So I think he knows his time is going to come. He would like to get fired and get his million-dollar book deal. Absolutely. He's got to, yeah, do it while the market's hot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I bet I bet he would be happy to be out of that spot. Because ultimately, there's too much going on. Reporters are who they are. Everybody's leaking. His time in the barrel is coming. So why not get out while you still got a good reputation and get a nice book deal? 
So yeah. I, I think if he got fired, I think he'd say thank you very much. Yeah, Matt, thanks so much for the call. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we've got to uh, go off to a break here, uh, and then we'll wrap up, I guess, Matt, uh, Mark, we wrap up the show after this, right, don't we? Okay, so we'll come back after the break. We'll wrap it up, do a quick uh, postmortem, and we'll be back right after this. The Lee Brothers, showing off the First Amendment and using the second only when necessary. On AMA 20, 97.7 FM, The Answer. And this is Norblay along with Paul Goldman. We've been filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW. Paul, have you had fun? I did. Great. You got uh, you got in some uh, some digs? And well, I was just trying to tell the truth. Trying what, to tell it like it is. You know is. what Harry Truman said? You know, I tell if it, if it, I tell the truth. If it feels like hell, that's just the way it is. <laughs> but no, it's it's always good to fill in for the Lee Brothers. Yes. It's it's good to come down and and because uh, I, I wouldn't want to do it all the time. <laughs> I'd run out of steam really quickly. But it's it's good, and of course, Scott and Rich will be back at their regularly scheduled time uh, with you for next week. So. But it's been good to fill in, and we've enjoyed it. And uh, really have. yeah, thanks for the callers. Thanks for calling in. Absolutely, thanks for calling in, and uh, we appreciate interacting with you. And we hope that uh, we we run into some of you sometime. Check us out. Paul publishes all over order the place. Order the broccoli when you go to uh, Ruth Chris. You don't got to do order steak. the broccoli. You order the broccoli. All right, this is Norm <laughs> along with Paul Goldman. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, folks. My friends, we did it. We weren't just marking time. We made a difference. We made the city stronger. We made the city freer. And we left her in good hands. All in all, not bad. Not bad at all. And so, bye. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America.